You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Uh, just as we go to the next part of the service here, we are so pleased and honored to have Brother and Sister Mitchell with us here today. Uh, great, great friends of ours, mentors, and we trust them and love them dearly. The Mitchells, they have pastored a number of places in the Atlantic District over the years, including uh, pastors' hometown, home village, home, home person. <laughs> it's not very many people. Uh, but Cushabaquack, and um, they have been in uh, the campus pastors at Northeast Christian College, and they are currently the pastor of New Life UPC in Blackville, New Brunswick. And most importantly, him and his wife are friends, mentors, and valuable voices in the Carter's life. And we are so honored to have them with us today. We're going to invite Brother Mitchell to come at this time. If you could give him a round of applause as he comes. I was thinking, I hope Brother Carter's on a diet. (laughs) I'm sure he's going to enjoy all that good stuff. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, uh, you don't hear preachers say this very often, but I don't know where to start. (laughs) The problem with preachers is sometimes it's hard to get them going, but then it's hard to shut them up. And uh, I feel like I'm home. I'm at home today. I feel at home. Uh, do you ever go anywhere and you just feel at home? You know, you go some places, you don't really feel at home, but I, I feel at home this morning. And uh, I'm just kind of a kaleidoscope of emotions today, you could say. Somebody once said that humans are not uh, logical creatures, they are emotional creatures. And so I'm, I'm feeling my emotions today, I guess very strongly. Um, I don't know if you're, t- you know, if you know what's going on in the Middle East. Um, I, I'm kind of, I guess, I get stirred up about stuff like that. Bible says when you see armies come past Jerusalem, guess what? You know, something is close. Remember what Brother Post told us in Bible school that Israel is God's time clock. Israel is God's time clock. Keep your eyes on Israel. So good to be with the Carters this morning, and I just kind of went down memory lane and uh, thought about some things. We went to Cushabaquack in 1987, pastored there for 16 years of our life, gave 16 years really of our best, uh, 16 years of our best years. They were our young years. We had our kids, our kids, you may be seated this morning. Um, I don't want to get you to stand all day, or all, uh, all the time that I'm speaking, that wouldn't work, would it? And so we went there in 87. My girls were, I think, three years old. They graduated high school there. We left in uh, 02 and went to Prince Edward Island to pastor there. And uh, Brother Carter, Brent, Brent was 16 years old. And when I, we went there um, and uh, was still in high school. And uh, great young man. I never dreamed that. When I left Cushabaquack, I'm just going to be real honest with you this morning. 
When I left Cushabacoac, I felt like a total flop. Did you ever feel like a total flop? I felt like a total flop. And God spoke to me and said, you're not a flop. And that was an investment. I invested 16 years of my life. And uh, God showed me that I am reaping. Hallelujah. This is not about you or about me. This is about the kingdom this morning. And what you and I can invest in the kingdom. Amen. And uh, I'm just so thankful that you allowed me to be part of this day. Uh, I really am, honestly. I say that from my heart. And uh, I'll tell you what, that, uh, everything that happened here, this is a really hard act to follow. It really is. And uh, anyway, I'm going to do my best. I know some of you have been here for, since 10 o'clock. Um, I probably have more notes than you got time. Uh, I listen to preachers say, well, I'm an introvert, you know, and, 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 you know, I can talk to anybody about anything for any amount of time, and uh, I don't class myself as an introvert, but these guys say, oh, I'm an introvert, and then they get up with no notes, and they talk for an hour and a half, and I'm thinking, like, what is wrong with this picture? Um, anyway, I feel like I have something this morning for you. Uh, I'm going to try to be mindful of the time, and uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, 11 verse. And we're going to read from verse 11 to verse 13. <clears throat> Ephesians 4 and 11 to verse 13. And it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Maybe your brother Robertson, you could pray this morning. Amen. I want to read you a little story. It's called The Perfect Pastor. I want to preach to you on this subject this morning. Everyone needs a pastor. Everyone needs a pastor. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin roundly but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He is 29 years old and has 40 years' experience. Above all, he is handsome. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. <clears throat> he smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 host calls a, a day and is always in his office to be ha handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church meetings. He never misses a meeting of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the church. The perfect pastor is always in the next church over. <clears throat> I talked to a man one time <clears throat> a while back, and he said this to me, and it stuck with me. It's never left me. He said, I don't have a pastor, and it hurts. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. I don't have a pastor, and it hurts. There was a guy who used to be on the radio years ago. His name was Perry F. Rockwood. You remember him? 
some of you old guys, Perry F. Rockwood. He was a radio pastor. A radio pastor. One good thing about a radio pastor is that you could shut him off, you know? And so that was Perry. And uh, I don't want a radio pastor this morning. Hallelujah. I, I, don't, I don't need a radio pastor. And Jesus talked about the true shepherd in John 10 and 12 to 13. He told us what a true shepherd was really, really like. And he talked about somebody that was called a hireling, somebody that was hired to look after the sheep. And Jesus said, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling flees, but he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. So Jesus said the difference is that the shepherd will give his life for the sheep and the hireling flees when he sees the wolf coming. Guess what? If you have sheep, sooner or later, the wolf was going to show up. If you have sheep, sooner, sooner or later, the wolf is going to show up. The only protection the sheep have, they have no defense, natural defense mechanisms. The only uh, protection that the sheep have is the shepherd. The only protection that the sheep have is the shepherd. The call of God. The call of God on a person's life. The, the call of God. Um, this is what makes the office of the ministry different from any other profession. And the call is always unique to the man. The call is always unique to the man. And the Bible proves that out. Hebrews 5 and 4. No man takes this honor unto himself except he that is called of God as was Aaron. You just don't get this out of a Cracker Jacks box. You just don't wake up one morning and think, I think I'll go into the ministry. It's not necessarily a career choice. It is a calling from God. So the call is a very powerful and very personal experience. In my own life, I can take you to the place at Miller Lake Camp where God put his hand on my life and called me into the ministry. There are different men in the Bible that were called. The call of Abraham in Genesis 12 and 1. That the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. Really what God was saying to Abraham was, You need to pack your bags. You're going on a trip. The call of Moses in Exodus 3 and 10. God said, Come now therefore, I'm going to send you unto Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. His call was to bring forth God's people. The call of the Apostle Paul in Acts 26 and 16. Rise, get up, Paul, stand upon your feet. I have appeared unto you for this purpose. I'm going to make you a minister and a witness, both of those things which you have seen and those things which I will appear unto you. I'm going to make you a minister. The call of Peter. Peter, do you love me more than these? More than your job? More than your fish? Feed my sheep and feed my lambs. So there is a responsibility with this in 1 Peter 5 and 2. The responsibility is to feed the flock. That's the, that's the responsibility. The question is, God, what do these people need? 
Or what do the sheep need? What, what do the sheep need that I pastor? What, what do they need? I need your direction to know what they need to survive. And so 1 Peter 5 and 2, he says, Feed the flock of God, uh, which is among you, taking the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. The new NIV says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Watch over them. He told Peter to feed my sheep. Jesus had compassion on the multitude because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. They were as sheep not having a shepherd. A pastor is a watchman, Ezekiel 3.17. The son of man, son of man. The Lord said to Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman under the house of Israel. Hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. That's not, that's, that's fun stuff. No, I'm being sarcastic. That's not fun stuff. <laughs> that's not fun to warn somebody. It's not fun to go to somebody. It's, it's not, it's not fun, but it's part of the responsibility. And you know what? You can see a whole lot more from a higher vantage point. Right? The higher up you go, you know, St. John looks a whole lot different from your parking lot than it would from an airplane. And so, you know, God has placed the man or the man of God at a higher vantage point to see from a different angle or perspective a lot of times and see the big picture that you and I don't see. And uh, you know what? This cost, this church cost him something. The church cost him something. And uh, that's part of the responsibility in Acts 20 and 28 that says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. He, Paul told the Ephesian elders as he was shipping to Rome, and knew that this would be the last time that he would talk to these people and to these leaders that were in the Ephesian church. And he said, this is what you need to do. You need to uh, take heed unto yourselves and to over all the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. Which he had purchased with his own blood. So the call was to take heed to yourself and to... The flock, Ephesians 5, 29, 30. For no man ever yet had hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even the Lord the church. Because we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. You see, there's a principle, the anointing always flows down. The anointing doesn't flow up. The anointing flows down. In Psalm 133 and 3, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And the Psalm, Psalm 133 mentions that, is that that oil that would flow down over Aaron's head and his beard and even to the skirts of his garment. I know it's typed to unity this morning, but actually the anointing uh, flows down and there is a covering that only comes as we, as we submit to our leadership and we submit to God's will for our life. And... Uh, you know what? There are times when pastor, uh, a pastor will have more patience with people than God. Can you believe that? That, that God will have, or pastor will have more patience with people than God. In Luke 13, 6 and 9, he tells the parable about the fig tree, that the fig tree was planted in the vineyard. And, and the, the owner of the vineyard came and sought fruit thereon for three years and found none, the Bible says. 
And so he says to the dresser of the vineyard, I've come three years seeking fruit and I don't find any. And so he said this, why don't you just cut it down? Why, why would you want it to cumber the ground or take up a, a, a part, a, an area that could be productive? And uh, he answered and he said, Lord, let it alone this year also. Let me, give me one more year to work with this, with this little fig tree that's struggling along here. Let, let me, give me one more year till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. There are times that you will question pastor's judgment. <clears throat> no, I don't believe it. The parable of the wheat and tares in, in Matthew 13, 25, 30 says, But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, there appeared tares also. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in your field? For whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou that we go and gather them up? Can, do you want us to just go and start ripping them up? And uh, he, you know what? This guy wasn't asleep at the wheel. This, this, this guy wasn't asleep at the wheel. He said, No, hang on a minute. He said, Lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them let them both grow together on the harvest in the time of the harvest i will say to the reapers gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them but gather the wheat into my barn there are times you have to let the tares and the wheat grow together there are some things that only god can fix hallelujah your responsibility <clears throat> hebrews 13 and 17 obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls, that they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Submit yourselves. I raised three children. And guess what? Not one of them was perfect. You know why? Because the parents weren't perfect. And uh, you ever hear the terrible twos? Now they call them the terrible threes. <laughs> we graduated. We had another year to it. Isn't that wonderful? I tell people, listen, you do all that when you're young. <laughs> Have fun. Terrible twos. And I have a granddaughter, and she was in the threes or whatever she was in, and every word was no. <laughs> you ever, they go through that no phase. You remember that? Everything was no. You know? <laughs> no. And I said to Ella one day, I said, is no the only word you know? And she said, No. <laughs> No. And so, you know what? Submission doesn't come easy, does it? It doesn't come natural. It's not part of this old frame to just kind of lay down and die, you know, and submit. It's just, it's just you and I, let's face it, we've got to work on that. And so it tells us that, that may, they may do it with joy and not with grief. Boy, I could hop off here and go, but I'm not going to. That they can, may do with joy and not with grief. Why? Because that is unprofitable for you. For who? That is unprofitable for you. As they that must give account with joy and not with grief. The two anointings of David. David was anointed by Samuel. We know the story. He went, he found, you know, he went through all the boys and 
No, no, no. And then he got, he got David and anointed him. And the Spirit of the Lord came on him from that day forward. Guess what? It was roughly 20 years, you know, living in caves and acting like a maniac with the Philistines and, and, and all kinds of stuff, battles that he faced. And, and then 20 years later, the, people, the, the Israelites come down and they said, you know what, David? We, we want you to be king. We want you to come to Hebron. And they anointed him king in Hebron. So there's a twofold anointing. There's an anointing of God and there's the anointing of the people. That this anointing thing is reciprocal. It's not one-sided. It's not just coming from the pulpit and coming from the pulpit and coming from the pulpit. Guess what? If it just keeps coming from the pulpit, let me tell you what's going to happen. Your pastor or any pastor is going to burn out. There has to be a reciprocal thing that happens. It's got to come back. It's got to come back. It's reciprocal. Hallelujah. You get that thing flowing, man. You, you've got something. You, you, you are on your way. You are on your way. Hallelujah. He gave apostles. And this is in the God's Word translation, Ephesians 4 and 11. And he gave apostles, prophets, missionaries, as well as pastors and teachers as gifts to his church. Their purpose is to prepare God's people, listen to this, to serve and to build up the body of Christ. This is to continue until all of us are united in our faith and in our knowledge about God's Son, until we become mature, until we measure up to Christ, who is the standard. Verse 16, from whom all the body fitly framed together, through that which every joint supplies, according to the working in due measure of every several part, makes the increase of the body on the building up of itself in love. You know what, this morning, there is no such thing as an armchair Christian. That's right. There's no such thing as an armchair Christian. For the complete furnishing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Guess what, folks? We all got a job to do this morning. That's right. We've all got something in the body. Hallelujah. The days of the one-man band are over. Hallelujah. The call of God. Your pastor says this. If you want to know if you're called... Try to get out of it. <laughs> See how that works for you. And you know what? There's times God wants to renew that call. Not only in the ministry, but also in the saints. In all of us and in all of our lives. In Isaiah 6 and 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah already had his call. He had his call in the first chapter of Isaiah. Hallelujah. I want to go to 2 Samuel. I'm, I'm winding this down this morning. 2 Samuel 23. And I want to go from verse 8 to verse 16. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about David's mighty man. David's mighty man. David longed for a drink from the water of the well at Bethlehem. While he was in the cave. Ever been in a cave? Lived in the cave. Said, oh, I'd love to have a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem. And his three mighty men said, you know what? 
Let's go get him a drink. <laughs> kind of boring around here anyway. And so they, brought, they went to Bethlehem, which was held by the Philistine garrison. And a garrison is a, where troops were stationed in a town or a fortress to defend it. And they broke through going in. They got the water and they had to break through coming back out. And you know the story how that David said, I can't drink this water because it's the blood of these just men. All for just a drink of the water for their leaders. There was a guy by the name of Shammah. And Shammah was the guy with the sword that, that his hand, at the end of it, he couldn't get his hand pried from off the sword. And the Bible says that he was with David and, and all the rest of the army fled. And the only ones that stood the ground and stood the battle were David and Shammah. And then the Bible says that everybody else came back to partake of the spoils. You know what God's looking for this morning? God's looking for some mighty men. Yes, He is. God's looking for some mighty men. I think of some mighty men that I met in my life. You know, I think every now and then that I've had the privilege to walk among some giants. God has allowed me to walk among some giants. Hallelujah. And that's not the negative, that's the positive. I think of a guy by the name of Freddie Judson. You wouldn't know Freddie Judson. Freddie Judson lived in Charlottetown. Remember when we built the church in Cushmacquack? And uh, we had limited funds. We had limited, we had limited everything. <laughs> everything was limited. You know, somebody said, how'd you do that? Well, we just, we didn't fake it. We faced it, you know. Anyway, so Freddie, Freddie wanted to help. I think Carol Carter was there at the time. So Freddie came over, and Freddie was retired, and Freddie had been a carpenter. And, and so Freddie came over one week, and, and Freddie came over the next week. And I said to Freddie, I said, listen, Freddie, I said, I, I need to at least pay your expenses. He said, no, no, don't worry about it. And he stayed at our place, and, and I'd get up around 8 o'clock, and he'd be long gone. You know, he'd be down at the church and work all day and work in the evening. And, and he'd go back to PEI on the weekends. And I said, well... I want to pay your expenses. And Freddie said, no. He said, I go on the weekends. He said, I go to all the ballparks in Charlottetown, and I collect pop bottles and cans. And that pays my bridge to get over here. That's, that's, that's a mighty man. Yes, sir. That's a mighty man. I remember Edward Carter, Brent's dad. There's times that, who do you call who did you call? You called Edward. You know, I remember fellowship one time and the water line got hooked up wrong and, and we had to dig up the water line. And so me and Edward are out there two hours before fellowship digging and picking and scratching to try to get the water line. I remember one time when we had a, we had a land dispute and, and the property line was, was two feet off the back of the church and the surveyor had made a mistake. And, and I, Everybody in the town knew, and nobody wanted to say nothing. Anyway, it's a long story. And so I felt like God wanted to do something, but I just that feeling, and I couldn't get away from it. And We didn't have any money, and we didn't have no money for a lawyer and nothing and all that stuff. Anyway, I just felt like, God, you're trying to do something here. And Everett came down on a Monday morning, and he said, you know something? He said, I had a, I had a dream that I had a conversation with a dead man last night. I said, well, I'm listening. <laughs> And uh, he said, there was a guy that lived next door, Cliff Sullivan. Cliff always had a garden on the line of the church. And, 
And he was picking potatoes right up behind the church. And he said, he looked up at Edward, and he looked at Edward and said, you know something? He said, this is wrong. He said, you fellows need to get this straightened out. I remember when we were going to have another baby, and we lived in a little trailer, and 12 by 60 trailer. Boy, that's compact, isn't it? I wouldn't even have enough room to store all my junk now in a 12 by 60 trailer. And uh, anyway, so Edward drove in the driveway and said, you know, Brother Mitchell, so I feel like we need to build. I said, Edward, I said, I feel the exact same way. I'll tell you one thing I definitely felt this morning before I came here, that God is looking for some mighty men. Maybe you could say that's why I'm here, other than pastor appreciation. Let's stand this morning. We're going to have an altar call. Maybe the music come back this morning. I'm going to have an altar call. That, I know this is all right. I know he's not going to have any problem with it. Are you interested in being a mighty man? That's the question. Shama stood his ground. That's what mighty men do. And actually, Shama stood his ground when everybody else left. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. He stood his ground when the battle was the hottest. Any mighty men in the house? I know there's mighty men here. But God's tapping some of you on the shoulder. And he's telling you it's time to rise to the challenge. Hours late. Time is short. Yes, sir. And so we're just going to open this altar this morning. Some of you young men. My dad was 18 years old when he went overseas. <laughs> yes, he was. He was 18. He was a kid. He was fresh off the farm, as many of them were. God's looking for mighty men. Any others? Oh, I got the kids up here. That's not a problem. Not a problem to get the kids up. Not a problem to get the kids to sign up. Some mighty men in the house. One of the guys slew a lion like man of Moab. And then the Bible says he went down and slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day. There was another guy that killed 800 men with a spear. One of them was David's armor bearer. He was David's bodyguard. But David also fought hand-to-hand -hand combat with him against the enemy. I know you appreciate your pastor this morning, man. But let me let you in on something. You need to become a mighty man. You need to become a mighty man. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.